Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. start I just wanted to pray this morning so father we thank you that you are here with us and in us we thank you for your word we thank you that you sent your word and it healed them we thank you lord for the word that you've given me this message to preach and I thank you father that it will go forth freely I thank you for utterance and for boldness father we thank you for eyes that see Jesus ears that hear Jesus and a heart that understands in Jesus name amen so I'm um, really excited as well because, I mean, I grew up in the ministry. My dad was a pastor, so I always was raised in a very, Christ, very strong Christian home. And um, my dad would always put me in the most awkward positions that I would never wanted to be in, but I'm so thankful that he did that now. You know, he's like, Chloe, come and say something or sing on the mic or whatever. We do like, um, what is that, karaoke machine and stuff in church. We said that was a cool thing back in the 90s. I'm 23, so I was born in 1994. So if you're wondering how old I am, I, I do remember the 90s, kind of. Um, so yeah, he would always get me to sing, and I couldn't sing. I wanted to, but never could sing. Um, but he just put me in awkward situations all the time that just learned to get over myself. And so I'm just I'm thankful for how I was brought up in that sense. Not at the time, but I am now. Um, but I just I grew up loving God, loving Jesus, loving His Word, and and I've always wanted to come to Australia. Many of you guys have maybe heard that story, that since I was seven years old, I always said to my parents, I'm coming to Australia, I'm going to go. And I was also like desperately in love with Steve Rowan, the crocodile hunter. Like He was my hero. All my school projects were about him or crocodiles or snakes or something to do with Australia. And so the fact that I'm here now, and not only just here, but helping a church plant and having the opportunity to even preach. I'm just so honored and so thankful to all that God has done. And this morning, I was just, because Pastor Grant told me a couple of weeks, probably a couple of months ago, about this opportunity, and so I've just been sitting with it, because I don't want to just preach from what I know in my head. I wanted to preach a message that God had for us as a church. And this scripture just kept coming to my heart constantly. And so this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. And this is kind of halfway through the verse, and this is what Paul says. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. And I just love that statement that he starts off with. For I know whom I have believed. And today I really want to talk to you guys about trust. And I want to ask you, what is trust? Because you can't trust who you don't know. And Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. So you obviously you don't give your valuables to a stranger. Like if I walked up to some random person and said, yeah, here's my wedding ring. Do you mind holding on to this for me? That would just be probably not the best idea. Same thing with, a, with money, right? You don't just give a random person money. You obviously you put that money in a bank, in a bank that you can trust because you know them. You know that person. You know that bank. You know that they're trustworthy. So Paul knew God. He knew that God is the best person to entrust the things that were important to him. So in order for us to actually truly trust God, we have to know God for ourselves. It says in Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. You know, we actually have to experience God for ourselves. If God wasn't good, would we honestly trust him? Like, if, you, if God wasn't good, would we honestly trust him? No, he'd be walking around terrified. Be like, if he was out there wanting to smite us or put sickness on us or try to, you know, make us poor, make us suffer in life, would we honestly trust him? No, I know I wouldn't, that's for sure. But I love that verse. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And, you know, we have to experience that for ourselves. You know, growing up in a pastor's home, I mean, I watched God's faithfulness to my parents all the time. Week after week, I saw how like, they'd be, they would be believing God for something, healing or provision. God always came through for them. I saw that day in and day out. But there had to come a time where I had to trust God and know God for myself. It couldn't just be my parents' my parents' faith that I had to live on. I had to live on from what I knew for myself. And sometimes I can get uncomfortable because you have to learn to trust God, and it's not always an easy thing. Like growing up when you're a kid, you, you trust your parents for food, for lunches. Ethan still trusts me for his lunches. <laughs> but you, you kind of have to, you grow up, you learn how to rely off of your parents and onto other things. And from there, I'm thankfully, my parents taught me to go off of what they can supply for me and go onto what God can supply for me. So I know whom I have believed. So Paul wasn't like that. So Paul, obviously, he knew God for himself. He said, I know whom I have believed. And Paul knew that God is good. Everything that God does, everything that God is, is good. And there's a wonderful scripture in Psalm um, 16, verse 2, and it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside or beyond you. You know, and there's nothing good outside of God. God is the definition of good. We wouldn't be singing how great is our God if he was out there, you know, putting sickness on people, right? We, God is so good. He's so good to us. He is our father. That's what Colin was talking about last week, of the heart of a father, how amazing, how good he is. And that's why he's so trustworthy. That's why when we're going through something, we need healing, we need provision, we need peace in our lives. We believe in God with our children, whatever it may be. We know that God is good and he can be trusted with everything that may be going on in our lives. And then I like what Paul goes on to say. Paul says, for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. You know, Paul, or trust is also being fully persuaded. Paul says, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. Paul was fully persuaded, totally convinced that what he, gave to, what he gave to God, what he committed to God, would be taken care of. And if you guys have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, this, this passage of Scripture really helped me um, when I was just going through, going through some hard times um, in my own life. And, you know, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. And Paul wasn't exaggerating when he was talking about this. And I'm just going to read this out of the Amplified because it really goes like into depth of what Paul was feeling here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 8. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the affliction and oppressing distress which befell us in the province of Asia, how we were so utterly and so unbearably weighed down and crushed that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the very sentence of death, but that was to keep us from trusting in and depending on ourselves instead of on God who raises the dead. For it is he who rescued and saved us from such a perilous death, and, we will, and he will still rescue and save us. In and on him we have set our hope, our joyful and our confident expectation. He will again deliver us from the danger and the destruction, and he will draw us to himself. That's a pretty big picture. 
Paul was saying, he wasn't exaggerating here, like he, was, he despaired even of life itself. And then he goes on to say, like how we were so utterly unbearably weighed down and crushed that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the very sentence of death, but that was to keep us from trusting and depending on ourselves, but to keep up and, and to put our trust in God, the one who raises the dead. So Paul was facing death, and he had a choice of what he would trust. He could trust in his own ability, his own wisdom, his own strength, or he could trust in the God who raises the dead. And he chose to trust God. What you trust is what you depend on. You know, there are numerous things in this world that we can depend on, right? You can depend on ourselves, you know, our, our own knowledge, our own ability, our own strength. We can depend on money to meet our needs. We can depend on the government or our own jobs. We can depend on our family, our friends for emotional support, love, kindness, all that kind of stuff. We can depend on even alcohol and food, drugs, to get us through tough times in life. There's always some sort of pathetic substitute for what God is always meant to be. And you know what? There's, you will always have a choice of what you to trust in. That's always a constant thing. That No matter what you will be going through in life, you have a choice. Do you trust in yourself or do you trust in God? God is the one we are to learn to trust and learn to depend on. It's not exactly, it's not the easy choice to trust God sometimes because you don't, you can't always see him, right? You don't always feel it. And I remember when Ethan and I um, were going through a really tough time when we were living in Sydney and we just had, we have, you guys have probably heard this story when I talked um, for the offering message a couple of times, but Ethan and I, um, we had such financial hardship and it was our own doing. Like we went to an apartment we were never supposed to go into, way over our budget. And, um, and I was just, you know, just, I didn't even know what to do. I was, we were so far in the hole that I, we had no way. I could not see a way out. And I kind of felt, so I read this scripture, what Paul was saying, over and over again, because it's just comforting to have somebody else say that we were despaired even of life itself. And I'm sure what Paul went through was probably a lot worse than what we were going through. But at the time, it felt absolutely overwhelming. And we were even, you know, taken to court because we couldn't pay our rent. Um, we had like, I remember we had like $7 left in our bank account, and we were like, hey, do we buy food or do we buy toilet paper? And that was a real struggle. And <laughs> we disagreed. Yeah. Anyways, I think we ended up buying toilet paper. Not that it matters. But anyways, but that was, that was something that we really struggled with. And I knew these verses of scripture, and I knew, okay, I had an option. I can trust on my own ability, which was really lacking there anyways, or I can trust in God. And you know, I couldn't always see God, and I definitely did not feel like God was there. But you know what? That's what I went to is you can either trust in yourself and what you can do. I mean, Ethan and I thought, of, okay, what can we do to make money? We can work at this place. We can get more jobs doing that, work more hours, all that kind of stuff. Or we can trust in God. And for the situation that we were in, we really needed, well, you always need to trust in God, but we desperately needed to trust in God because you, you don't always know why you're in a situation. Like, you don't always understand what's going on. And we needed God's wisdom to get us out of there. And thankfully, God did get us out of there. And I could, if, looking back on it now, there's no way I could have figured it out how to do it. There, was, there would not have been enough jobs. Not, there would have never been enough hours that I could work to get us out of that situation. And the way that God did it was so so good, so miraculous. Like, we, had, we still had to go to court. We went to court. But, you know, there was absolutely no fear when I went to when we were stepped into that courtroom. I was like, you know, I trust in God to get us out of the situation. And it was supernatural. We were out of there. We were out of the apartment. We paid the rent. Um, the day before we had to move out, we had somebody offer us a place to stay. 
So we, like, it just worked out so well. And you know, that's just how good and how faithful God is. Always going back to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. You know, you will never fail. You will never be disappointed when you put your trust in God. So, but yeah, trust has to, you have to learn to trust God. So in Luke um, chapter 16, verse 10, it says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful, is faithful also in much. You know, this is something that we definitely apply for ourselves, right? We, if you test people in leadership, for example, you know, you, you test them. Are they faithful in the little things? They'll also be faithful in much. But, you know, we can also apply that to God. If God is faithful to us in the little things, he is also faithful to us in the much. So we have to learn to trust God in the small things first. You know, I mean, it used to be a huge mistake. I think that's kind of where the whole mistake happened with us, with the apartment, that we wanted to go big or go home. So we went to the extremely expensive place. We were like, God, oh, I can do this. We totally got it. And of course, God can do it, but we didn't, we didn't have the faith to keep us there. We weren't quite ready to trust God in that way yet, because you first start with what is small, and you build your trust. You learn to trust God first. If, if a child who's four years old, you wouldn't trust them with a, um, driving the car, right? Good, good parenting, just making sure. You wouldn't trust them with driving a car, because they're not ready. And it's not that you're being a bad parent. It's just, well, no, you're, you're being a good parent if you don't trust them with the car. But it's just, you have to wait till they're ready to learn to trust, to learn to do those things. So the same thing with God. So start small. Whatever you're at in your faith, if it's paying your bills, believing God for food, um, helping you with school or with your job, start with what you can believe God for. And then as you experience his faithfulness for yourself, your trust in him will grow. So you can then, after you, as you grow and you experience God and his faithfulness for yourself, you can start relying on him for other things. You know, like maybe you're believing God for your children or promotions at work or living a debt-free life. You can just continue to grow in your, faithful, in your trust and in his faithfulness. It's just, it's a journey. It's a walk of faith. So start where you're at. Paul learned to trust God to the point that when he was facing death, he knew he could, he could depend on God who raises the dead. And how many of you guys know Paul didn't start there? Paul started at the, very, at the beginning, right? He's, if you read in Galatians how he was there, he spent time just... How many years? Quite a few years, just learning, learning the word for himself. Right? He started small. He just started with, first of all, knowing who Jesus is, and then all of a sudden he went on to write about basically almost half of the New Testament. But he said he had to start at the beginning. And of course, Jesus is another example. It says in Luke 23, verse 46, and Jesus crying out with a loud voice, said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." And with these words, he expired. So Jesus here, dying on the cross, he's nailed to the tree. He's, he's been whipped, he's been made fun of, he's been spat on, he's been slapped. There's nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you think about what he was facing, he's about to go to hell on our behalf. And he, into your hands, he says, I commit my spirit. That's a huge thing. I mean, this, we never in life will we ever have to face such an intense experience. There's no situation as hard as this one, but still Jesus depended on God. Jesus entrusted his future into God's hands, that God is able and faithful to raise him out of hell. You know, and he did this as a man. He didn't have a supernatural ability to trust God. He had to learn to trust God back when he was a child, right? So he had to first learn to trust God when he fed the 5,000, when he healed the sick, when he raised the dead, when he, when, even when he escaped from the Pharisees um, trying to kill him, he learned to trust God. 
And that's why Jesus crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He committed that, which was important to him, his spirit, going into hell. He entrusted that to God, that God is able and that God is faithful to raise him back out of the grave. What you trust is what you depend on. There's only one person that, you can, that can truly be depended on for everything, and that is God, our Father, our healer, our provider, our redeemer. He is whatever we need him to be. We saw through Paul and Jesus what trust looks like. But there's a scripture that kind of sums it up, and it's in Psalms 112, verse 6 to 8. And I definitely encourage you guys, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn there as well. Psalms 112. Verse 6, start in verse 6, and we'll go to verse 8. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire. A fixed heart is a heart that trusts God. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. Surely he shall not be moved until he sees his desire. You know, trusting God requires persistence. Refusing to move until you see what you are trusting God for. And again, going back into that time with our apartment, um, when we were just living in Sydney again, and... Um, you know, I, I, would, I would quote this scripture over and over again. I say, I'd say, my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. My heart is established. I will not be moved until I see my desire. And our desire was to um, live financially, like to have actual finances again. Because, you know, living on $7 a week is not really going to cut it. But my heart was fixed, trusting in God. So every time the thoughts, there would be pressure, there would be fear, there would be feelings of doubt and unbelief, those things would come and they would put pressure on you. And every time those feelings would come, I would say, no, my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. My heart is established. It was even sometimes where um, I would just, even when I was in, um, when I was in Bible school, um, believing God and for the same thing for finances and stuff, I would actually put the Bible on the floor and I would stand on it and I would say, I'm standing on the word of God and I am not moving until I see my desire. And this is what trust looks like. You know, it's not just some, it's, doesn't, it's not at all based on how you feel that day. It's not at all based on um, your emotions or the situation. Your trust is based on the word of God. If it's not in here, what is it on? And you know, I just want to even go on a little bit of, of money too. You know, money is a pathetic thing to trust on. It is so fleeting. It is here one minute and gone the next, which is exactly what Ethan was saying, right? Like you, you have this money, you have this paycheck that comes in and you think, you know, it's, it's going to be all good and stuff. And you know what? And you run out. Then what? Right? It's, it does not, it's, it is so pathetic. I've trusted in money before, and it is, it is, you always end up disappointed. But with God, man, he is so faithful. I, can, I mean, I've only been alive for 23 years, but you know what? I have experienced the faithfulness of God, and I have experienced his goodness. And I can tell you for a fact that when you trust God, you will never be disappointed. You will always come out on top because he is so good, and he is so faithful. And that's what this person is saying in Psalms 112. 
He says, I will not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. I will not be afraid of evil tidings. My heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. My heart is established. I will not be afraid until I see my desire. So you know what? Every time that pressure on you comes, refuse to be afraid. Refuse to fear. Jesus said constantly on the earth, right? He said, do not be afraid. Fear not. Only believe. He said that constantly. And that wasn't just a suggestion, that was a command. Fear not. Do not allow fear in you. Because you know, God is not the author of fear. God has nothing to do with fear. It says in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. So who, where does fear come from? It comes from the enemy, exactly. Fear is entirely from the enemy. It's nothing to do with God. You know, and as believers, fear should have nothing to do with us. We should not even tolerate it for a minute. You know what, sometimes I understand that sometimes that pressure comes, you know, and that feelings of fear come, but it's what, what do you do with it? Do you just allow it to come? Do you meditate on the problem? Do you worry about what's going to happen to you? You have a choice, what you're going to trust, what you're going to believe. You can either believe the situation, or you can believe what God has said. So I'm going to read this again, because I love this. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be moved until he sees his desire. When you trust God, absolutely refuse to fear. Circumstances may be screaming at you. There may be pressure, pressure of bills, pressure of time, pressure of pain in your body. But a heart that trusts God will stand on God's word and refuse to budge. His heart is fixed, trusting in God. Actually, this kind of brings me up um, in 2 Corinthians again, chapter 4. So this is all Paul again when he just talked about how he was um, spared even of death or of life itself. He despaired even of life itself. He goes on a couple more, and then the next chapter over, it says, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And it's an interesting, interesting scripture. You know, if, I could never figure it out. I'm like, what on earth does that mean? We're oppressed on every side, but not in despair. Like, I never could figure it out. But the more I meditated on it, there's more, the more I realized that, yeah, there's going to be pressure on the inside. There's going to be pressure on the outside of you, things that the world's going to put on you, what, whatever that may be. With your you know, children may be pressuring you, money may be pressuring you, circumstances may be pressuring you. So we are troubled on every side, yet we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You know, this is, this is exactly what that righteous person was talking about, that his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord, that no matter what may be going on out there, we can stand strong on the inside and refusing to let what's going out there come into our heart. It's, if you can protect your heart, it says in Proverbs 4, right? Guard your heart above all vigilance, for out of it flows the issues of life. If you guard your heart from fear, right, that's the key. You've got to keep your heart from all fear. And you, you keep that heart fixed, trusting in God. Wow. If you go on to the, into the next, um, well, mine's the next page. 2 Corinthians 4, verse um, 17. This is Paul saying, so again, Paul just came out of saying, we despaired even of life itself. And then he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul, talking about, we despaired even of life itself, and then he says, for our light affliction. That's a huge statement. 
Our light affliction, seriously, he's talking about dying. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So how, do, how can you do that? How can you be in such pressure and then call it a light affliction? He goes, that's when he says, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And that's what I had to do when we were living in the apartment, going through that. I had a choice. I could look at the problem, and I could worry about the problem and think about it, or I could look to God's word and see something else. So if, it, if you're going through something right now, rather than worry and meditate on the problem, look at something else. Look at what God's word has said about it. Because you know, that's, that's the answer right there. That's what's going to say, for this light affliction, which is but for a moment. And you know what? Coming out of that whole situation, looking back on it now, our light affliction, compared to the victory that we are experiencing right now, that we are walking in right now, that was nothing. Because you know what? God is so faithful and he's so good that we just, it's a light affliction, which is but for a moment. And you can see, works for us are far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at the things which are seen, so refusing to look at the problem, but looking at things which are not seen, looking at your heart, looking at what God has said. What did God say about your problem? What did God say about your finances? What did God say about your healing? What did God say about your children? We look at what God has said. The things which are seen are temporal. That means they're subject to change. Right? Our apartment, that whole thing with the finances, I said to you, you're subject to change. Your finances, those are subject to change. That can change to what God has said. And that's what I expected. That's why I say my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Because I knew that if I stood on the, Lord, on the word, God is faithful to, to perform his word in my life. And that's exactly what Paul did. So a heart that trusts God will stand on God's word and refuse to budge. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. When fear tries to come on you, run to God and his word and stand on what you are believing for. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Preaching's fun. <laughs> you really get stirred up. I'm like, man. Yeah, it's just fun. Anyways, Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we'll start in verse, I have it here, and starting in verse 32. But be ever mindful of the days gone by, in which after you were first spiritually enlightened, you endured a great and painful struggle, sometimes being yourselves a gazing stock, publicly exposed to insults and abuse and distress, and sometimes claiming fellowship and making common cause with others who are so treated. For you did sympathize and suffer along with those who were imprisoned, and you bore cheerfully the plundering of your belongings and, and the confiscation of your property, in the knowledge and the consciousness that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions." Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance, so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God, and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. The just shall live by faith. Um, and if anyone draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. But our way is not of those who draw back, but we are of those who believe and who cleave to and who trust in God. So just to kind of explain what's going on here, um, they're talking about how these people were going through a lot of stuff, going through problems and persecutions, all that stuff because of the, because of the word. They're going through all these, this, um, these trials. And then they say, do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. For you need a steadfast patience that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God. 
No, you, got, you sometimes just got to stand. You got to plant your ground, stand your ground, and on the word of God and refusing to move. Because, you know, it can be so easy after you, because we were standing, we were believing God for a year and a half. We were in that apartment or so, a year and a half. And you, and you know what? A year and a half in your own strength is going to be a long time. A lot of stress, a lot of sleepless nights if you're believing God, if you're, if you're standing in your own strength. But when you're standing on the word of God, you know what? Your mind isn't even on the problem. Your mind is on the goodness of God. And you, by him and his strength in you, you can stand for as long as you need to. It says in Ephesians, um, having done all to stand, stand. You know, that's what this is, this is a saying too. Do not fling away your fearless confidence. You know, don't, don't give up in your faith. Don't give up on believing God and what he has said. For it's because it, it's so worth it. Like Ford carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. You know, you've need of steadfast patience and endurance. You know, and patience is a good thing. People are like, oh, never pray for patience. Well, so you no, know, you know, you seriously, patience is such a good thing. It is an attribute of God. God is patient. You know, it says love is patient, love is kind. God is patient. It's a good thing. And this patience isn't just some like flimsy Christian thingy. Patience is a, is a, an endurance. It is power. It is strength to stand to outlast any sort of attack from the enemy. So for you need a steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God. Um, and it says, the just shall live by faith. And we are the just, right? We are the ones who believe God. We are the ones who have been made righteous because of Jesus. It says here, the just shall live by faith. So this is how we live, right? Yes. <laughs> we live. We live refusing to fear. We live standing on the word of God. And like this is saying, like, if he draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul, which is, this is God saying this, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. Ooh. If he draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul has no delight in him. On those days when I was just, I, and I felt tired of standing because I wasn't seeing the thing I wanted to see, I would go and read these scriptures. And I'd say, God, I want to please you. I want, I want you to, see, to have pleasure in me. So I would say, I would quote the next verse, but I, my way is not of those that draw back. I'm of those who believe. Who, are, who, who chooses to stand? Who would rather stand and please God than give up because you're too tired? I'd rather stand and please God because it says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. Not that it's hard, not that it's difficult. It says impossible to please God. So this is why, this is, if anything, if the only reason you're trusting God is to please him, well, let's start with that. Rather, I'd rather please him than give up. So why is trust so important to God? Why, why would God say that? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Because um, when we entrust what we care about to him, when we trust God, when we commit to him our cares and the things that are going on, it actually gives him access to it. And um, God gave me this statement a couple years ago, and he said it twice in my life. And he said to me, he said, Chloe, I can only reign over what you give me. And that's a huge, that's a huge thing that completely changed my life. He said it one time to me um, in finances, and he said it another time to me about something that's really personal to me that I'm just going to share um, just at the end here. So when, when, we hold, when we hold on to something out of fear, or we're holding on to something because we're trusting in ourselves, we're holding on to something because we'd rather trust the government to do it for us or trust our paycheck to meet our needs, no, we're not relying on God then. We're relying on what we can see, the things that are temporal. But when we, try, when we choose to rely on God, we are putting his word in our lives. We are standing on his word. That gives him access to the situation. 
And if we truly want God involved in every area of our life, we have to learn to trust him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and experience for yourself the Lord is good. We have to learn to let go of our own ability, learn to let go of trying to work as many hours as you possibly can to meet your needs, learn to not hold on to your children out of fear and being constantly scared over them of what's going to happen to them at school or what's going to happen to them at the amusement park or whatever, and just choose to entrust that care to God. It's a process. It's a learn. It's a learning thing, and he will always help you. He'll help you to learn. He'll help you to stay in faith. And so an area that um, God said that to me, like, Chloe, I can only reign over what you give me, um, is something that was just very, cl- it's very close to my heart. And he said that one time to me, like, during finances, but he also said that to me, um, it's just about my own body. And, because, you know, I was probably I work as a personal trainer. And um, when I was 16 years old, I had an eating disorder. So I was anorexic for a little while, which is basically, I didn't eat anything for a few months. And then um, I went from that to bulimic, which is basically where you eat everything in sight and you just throw it up after. And I lived in such bondage to this stuff. And um, so I was 16 at the time, just going through high school, and I just, it really, I basically just played the part at church, because I was still, you know, a pastor's kid. I was still very much involved with youth. And I knew that what I was doing, what I was going through was, was wrong. And that it wasn't God's, no, that it wasn't God's doing at all. It was just... I was just in such bondage and such fear over the way that I looked. And um, so with the help of, well, I prayed God helped me get out of that, first, first of all. And my mom helped me a lot too. But the after effects, because if you have anything to done, if, if you've ever experienced anorexia, you know somebody who has, it's totally mental. Like it's a lot of, it's all in the head. And so it took me years to be able to actually think properly. I used to be so terrified of food. I would, like, if I ate anything, anything that had a little bit of sugar in it, I would absolutely be in a panic. I would not sleep at night because I'd be so scared that if I woke up the next morning, I'd be, I'd put on 20 pounds or whatever, 10 kilos. I was so scared of food. And this just, it, it just, I was in bondage for this for so long. And um, I was kind of like, always, always off and on as well. Like, I would be, um, this is even back a couple years ago, even going through Bible school, like, I'd be, I ate something, ate too much chocolate or something, I'd still throw it up every once in a while. It wasn't, it wasn't a constant thing like it used to be, but it was still just kind of in the back of my mind. And so one day, I was just sitting there um, at, the, at the beach and stuff, Ethan was taking photos or whatever, and I was just reading the word in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, when, God, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. And that's when the Lord spoke that sentence to me again. He said, Chloe, I can only reign over what you give me. And I knew right then and there, I said, I have not committed my body to you at all. That I was, every time that I was worried, worried about it, I was in fear about it, I was anxious about it, that I, I, was, I kept that care to myself. Where he, so he had no access to it, which is why I was still living in bondage, even though it's been four or five years since I was truly anorexic. And so he gave me a couple instructions of what to do, about to seek first his kingdom. He said, Chloe, before you do anything in the morning, he said, first seek me. He said, come to me, spend time with me. So that was the one thing he told me to do. Because before I used to work out, and um, it was all about me the first thing in the morning. I would do my workout, I'd have my food, my breakfast, the way that I wanted it. But that which was, yeah, that was the whole thing right there. But so the Lord said to me, he said, come to me first, 
um, and get your mind on me. And so I started doing that. And he gave me a couple other instructions too about the confessions that I made over my body and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, over, I've never been so free from that. I'm not, I, maybe there's some women here, you might have known, might feel the same way sometimes with food. And it's like, did I just gain like two kilos overnight? I just looked at a piece of bread. Like, you know, but it's just, I have, I'm so free from that because I entrusted something to God. You know, it's not, it's not always easy to entrust something to God because I, my, the way that I looked was really important to me, especially when you're 16, right? It's a huge thing to you. But when I entrusted that to God, like, I have, I'm so free. You know, my body changed so much. Like, people actually ask me, Chloe, what are you doing differently? Like, are you eating? Are you on a certain, like, um, workout plan? And I can honestly tell you, I don't, like, only, I don't know. Like, I didn't do anything that actually changed my body. Like, God did it. And because I entrusted that to his care, it gave him access into my situation. And that's just his faithfulness. That's how good he is. And if you don't, if you don't mind just um, playing. And, you know, like, I can, I mean, that's, that's in body. That's in, that was in something that was very personal, very close to me that I never realized I actually had to commit that care to God. Because I thought I was just a body, like whatever. But it says, you know, your body's been bought with a price. So I learned, I learned to entrust that care to God. And you know what? That can work in absolutely any situation. It's the same principles. You entrust that care to God, whether that be your children, you believe in God for your children, you believe in God for your schooling, getting good grades, or work, money, you want a new home. All of that's all the same. It's entrusting that care over onto God. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast, visit www.redeemercoast.com or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.